I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. In this weekly show, the Husker Online team will give you the latest insight on Husker football, basketball, baseball, and of course, recruiting. Now, here's your host, Husker Online publisher, Sean Callahan. Hello here and welcome again to another edition of the Husker Online show, spring break edition as UNL on spring break. Most school districts, Lincoln for sure is on spring break, um, and Nebraska football is on spring break as uh, there's no practice this week. Uh, Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, we still have got a great show here on tap um, as we bring you home uh, over the course of um, the spring break week as we're going to hear from Clint Cosgrove um, a little bit later in the show uh, talking just about some of the Nebraska recruiting class numbers and what he has seen. He's a Rivals.com analyst son a former Defensive coordinator Kevin Cosgrove, and I'm also going to be joined by Louis Vakir um, from WildcatReport.com, um, and and we're just going to get an inside look at, at the Wildcats because obviously that's who Nebraska opens up with on Week Zero in Dublin, Ireland, and uh, we'll talk to to Louis on that. But want to hit on on just these first six practices and what we've learned. Uh, Nebraska scrimmaged on Friday. It was closed to the media, but we've gotten a lot of. I've gotten a lot of good reports from people out there, Robin, on, on kind of what I've heard and, and kind of where it was at. And not a surprise. I, I think this defense is still very much a work in progress because there's a lot of guys out with injury and they're missing a few pieces that they could add from the portal. The offense got the better end of the defense, I think, in that scrimmage. Um, sounds like there were some fireworks. There's a pretty good little scuffle that happened in, in the scrimmage after a Trey Palmer touchdown, a kind of a cheap shot was given upset coach frost uh ran the team pretty good but um you know i I think it was your typical first scrimmage from everything i had heard um as far as where this offense is at yeah and as we all know these scrimmages are uh kind of the real defining points of spring ball even more so than the actual spring game Uh, this is what the coaches really want to evaluate and uh, you know especially um when you look at the work that nebraska has to do in the trenches and in the running game um, and really in their defensive front seven um, these are the moments where um, there's a lot of stock put into these these practices. Um, you know, they only get so many tackle to the ground sessions that they're allowed to even have uh, during the spring. So there's a lot of weight that is put on um, you know practices like Friday, scrimmages like Friday. So that was the first kind of real evaluation day that you know for, for some of the biggest questions Nebraska has to answer this spring and, and really for the rest of the offseason, uh, they finally got their their first bit of answers uh, on Friday. And we hear good things about Casey Thompson and where he's at. Um, you know, just as far as the way he's kind of grasped onto that job. I, I think it's not a secret. He's the number one guy. And Chubba Purdy's been limited with a foot injury. Uh, I think Logan Smothers, though, was, has done well and, and battled. Um, so those guys have looked well, good. And then, you know, Heiner Carberg, where he's at, it'll be interesting to see. Um, but with Richard Torres out and, and Chubba at least limited, I think that picture's pretty clear. Running back remains... Somewhat wide open, but I can tell you a lot of strong reports, Rob, when I hear about Anthony Grant, the junior college uh, transfer that he's run it hard. And, you know, he's he's not your typical Juco transfer. I mean, he to kind of put age in perspective, he was a senior in high school when Gabe Irvin was a freshman. They, mm. were, they were on the same high school wow. team. So he's an older Juco um, because of the COVID year, and he was at Florida State before that. Yeah, it's, uh, he's the type of guy, too, you want to talk about, you know, really actual, actually evaluating football um, in these live scrimmage settings. He's the guy that that's the setting where I think he can separate himself because that kind of defines his game. He's a very physical running back that um, does not shy away from contact. And really when he's at his best, it's, um, you know, breaking tackles and, and, and running through, um, you know, contact in, in between the tackles. So that I think is a real opportunity for him. The, these, these scrimmage, um, when you look at just the, the different skill sets of these running backs, you know the the smaller, speedier guys. They, they can you know make their case in in other types of drills, non contact drills. But when it actually comes to uh, the live 
tackling to the ground settings. Um, you know, Anthony Grant, I think that's that's where it's his time to shine, and I think uh, he's probably going to make even further cases in, in as those opportunities progress uh, over the course of the offseason. And then, you know, the receiver position, I think that has been a real strength, especially with the addition of Trey Palmer. And, you know, they need Xavier Betts, but Elante Brown's kind of put himself up there. We know about Omar Manning, Oliver Martin. Uh, I mean, that's a deep position. I think really when you look at this football team overall, I don't know. I mean, receiver has to almost be the deepest position right now. Yeah, just with the number of options they have for sure. Um, now it's a matter of which of those groups. I mean, we, we kind of have the known commodities, but then who else is going to emerge to make up the rest of that rotation? And I guess the good thing for Nebraska is uh, they, they've got a lot to choose from. they got a lot of different guys that, that could make um, their move over the course of this this offseason. So we're starting to hear some names um, start to kind of uh, make their case, and I would imagine uh, you know, we'll get a lot better idea of what that picture is going to look like by the time the spring game rolls around. And then defensively uh, for Nebraska, um, you know, the defensive line is missing Casey Rogers right now, and, and they're going to get some transfer guys inside linebacker. I mean, it's just not a clear picture. I mean, you had Grant Taggy uh, working number one inside backer in that scrimmage on Friday. Yeah. Um, so they, I mean, they, and this is not a knock on Grant Taggy. They, I mean, they're just, they're just down guys mm-hmm. um, at that position uh, with the number of players that, that missed. Um, so the defense you know, honestly, Robin, if the offense didn't take it to those guys, I would have probably been concerned. Yeah, and so, I mean, both the defensive line and offensive line are so such incomplete units right now with the guys that are out, um, you know, on, on both sides of the ball that, you know, as much as they really want to evaluate um, those two areas in particular, there's only so much that you can look at. And so, um, you know, as earlier this week, I wrote a story about the offensive line and people were really skeptical about the comments, Scott Frost and, um, you know, Donovan Raiola and those types made about the, the immediate progress they've shown. Um, but the reality is that there's only so much that you can evaluate at this point, uh, just because of the, the limitations they've had with the availability of players. And then also you're only playing, you know, real tackling football so often. As we uh, wrap it up here in opening headlines, Robin, the Big Ten got nine teams in the NCAA basketball tournament that kicks off Thursday and Friday. No NIT teams, um, so it tells you there was no bubble in the Big Ten. Everybody got in. Um, you know, nobody's even in the NIT. Do you think the Big Ten deserved nine teams? Were you surprised they got nine in? And you know, I guess they had two of the last four, right? Mm-hmm. Mich- Michigan and Rutgers. Uh, or in, excuse me, was Indiana? Indiana, Indiana basically got in on the they're playing there in Dayton, and they got in by beating Michigan in the Big Ten. So tournament. Michigan was like already squarely in. Apparently, people thought that was going to be basically a play-in game because uh, Michigan obviously, you know, they had a strong start to the season, but they really fell off, and there was real questions about whether or not they were a legitimate tournament team going into the Big Ten tournament. And then they lost that game. So for them to sneak in the way that they did uh, was was definitely surprising. Probably the biggest surprise out of all of those um, Big Ten teams. But here's a interesting stat. So the Big Ten got nine teams in. Since 2011, uh, only, two, si- only six times has a conference got nine or more teams into the tournament. The most since that point was the Big East in 2011 when they got – uh, 11 teams in but since then uh, it's only happened five times when there's nine or more the big Ten's done it twice the past two seasons in 2021 and now 2022 so rare territory uh, for a conference to get this many teams in especially doing it back-to-back years and then you look at nebraska the year that they had the really good record it was like the one year the big 10 of course like, yeah go figure they got like four team <laughs> was it like a four got in the acc like holy cow and the Pac-12, I mean, the Mountain West got more teams in the Pac-12. Yeah, I mean, for one, the Mountain West is a really good league, um, especially with Wyoming getting in um, in that in the Dayton uh, play-in game. They were kind of one of those teams squarely Colorado in the bubble. State. Yep, Colorado State. So Boise State. Yeah, the, I mean, the, the Mountain West is really good basketball, but I think it's more of an indictment on the Pac-12 where – you know, you have your Arizonas, UCLA's, um, you know, maybe o- even Oregon, Oregon, not getting, Oregon yeah. didn't get in though. Yeah, I mean, so but but after that, the drop off is pretty significant. So um, it's kind of you know a representation that you know 
Power Five leagues don't always get the uh, benefit of the doubt the way that uh, some people might think. All right, when we come back, we'll continue this discussion. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. Hi, it's Sean Callahan with Husker Online. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones and see what we find. Learn more at uscellular.com slash built for us. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan and Robin Washett taking you home in the spring break week edition as there's no practice, no classes. Things pretty quiet, as we think in Lincoln. I, I, I should never say things are quiet, Robin, because no. uh, things are never quiet um, with a lot of things obviously going on behind the scenes. You know, a couple things did happen uh, we haven't had much of a chance to talk about. Number one, the stadium survey that came out. Um, you know, and I'm more interested now, kind of the timeline on what's next with Trev Alberts on this, I, I think there's a couple things I concluded, you know, we're, we're going to probably see reduced capacity in Memorial stadium. Cause that's the only way long-term yeah, that's a given to, to, in, to make the seating more comfortable. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, and I mean, it's just harder to get 90,000 people to go to a college football game. It's just the reality of our society. Now getting, People to attend live sporting events is more difficult than it's ever been, and so well, when Nebraska's not winning, it's even harder. Exactly. So you have to cater more towards the improving the fan experience, and that's going to be making more comfortable seating, making just the overall game day experience that much more. And enjoyable. that's what's always been different about the college game. College game hasn't had to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like the good pro they have recently, but like places like Michigan and Ohio State. I mean. Right. They don't have to. Uh, but they've all done kind of their own like secondary things where there's like luxury suites and all that sort of stuff to where like you can introduce stuff like that at a smaller scale. But I think it's just it's heading that way to where especially coming off the, the COVID years, you got to find ways to, to make more money. And uh, by doing that is trying to give fans every reason possible to, to come to games. Well, and they, they took the stadium up to ninety two thousand. And they've already kind of walked it back down to, I want to say 88, mm-hmm. 80, you know, they, yeah, it's under 90. I know that it's under 90. Uh, but initially it was 92 when Nebraska first joined the big 10 and they added the East balcony. And when I wrote the 100 things for Nebraska, hundred things, Nebraska book, uh, that you should know and do before you die. Um, I wrote a chapter of the sellout streak and Paul Myers was no longer working for the university, but had a obviously a great knowledge of that stuff. And he said, he goes, we told Tom Osborne, you're really pushing the envelope by adding the additional 6,000 seats on the East Balcony mm-hmm. um, because the data that we have says that this is really pushing the demand. There's really not going to be much more demand um, after you add these seats. And I think that, that ended up being true, especially with the way things have turned. I mean, I think we've seen – Peaks and valleys with ticket holders. I mean, when Nebraska first joined the Big Ten, it was a really hard ticket to get. Um, you had to pay a lot of money to get those tickets because people wanted to see Nebraska versus Michigan and Nebraska versus Ohio State. Mm-hmm. But now it's obviously much different um, where that's at. And you know, the timeline will be interesting. When do you announce this? I mean, if the season goes well in 2022, is there a window then between – the season and then the start of the 2023 season where you make those kinds of announcements, you've got to get your facility done. And, and that's expected to be done and ready um, for the start. of. I've I think it's supposed to be ready for 2023. Yeah. I mean, they, they've already got, I mean, you could see there's a substantial building going on. You actually see pillars and the foundation being laid there. So it's, it's well on its way. And I think 23 is reasonable. Yeah. So get that done. It's a two year project. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they broke ground may of last year, but it, it, I mean, it just tells you the, the magnitude of that job. Absolutely. I mean, in a full year, that's all you can really get done. Yeah, no doubt. They were, they luckily they had a mild winter. They were able to probably work a few more days than they normally would in a, in a normal Nebraska winter. So, so we'll see where that goes. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to hit on, Robin, Nebraska renewed, or excuse me, signed a new media rights deal with JMI Sports. Uh, they also have Pittsburgh and they also have Kentucky as some of their partners. But 
I think what surprises me about this is it was a year ago at this time, Nebraska chose to take it in-house. They were under an agreement with Learfield IMG that paid them a guaranteed $13.55 million um, to, to manage and own the rights. And then they decided to take all of that in-house for a year. Now they'll enter a long-term 12-year agreement worth $18 million per year. Um, where essentially, you know, what that means is you don't do anything. And the new company runs everything. They sell the ads. They put the billboards in. They manage the radio and the te- television stuff. And they hand you a check for $18 million every year to be able to do that for you. Yeah. And so the $18 million a year, that's that's way more than what they got previously under Leaf- Learfield, right? Yeah, Le- it was 13.55. 13.55. And supposedly pre-COVID, they had an offer that was $20 million a year. But then the pandemic and things kind of changed it which led to them taking things in house. And I don't know why, but I was under, I I was led to believe obviously Learfield wanted them back, but it was going to be a different type of deal. Rev share deal back in a year ago, there were other people that wanted the deal, but they chose not to go with those other companies. Now, obviously with a new AD, uh, they've decided to go with JMI Sports. Yeah, I think it says everything that it <laughs> took Trev just a few months on the job. Like, you know what? We're done with this. Uh, we're going back. To, you're going to outsource this deal and make a bunch of money to not do work. Yeah, and well, it's it's it just makes sense. Like, yeah, <laughs> there's like, really no debate in my opinion about it. We're going during- to give you 18 million dollars a year to do all the work, exactly, and-, and and take on the risk and the liability, or you take on all the risk and liability and manage everything. And they have to show like a finance report on the books for like the state of Nebraska and all this, you know, all the stuff, stuff they do is listed publicly for the most part. And so I always wondered how that was going to work. And, and now we know how it worked. I mean, they're, they, they're only going to do it one year. And I'm not saying they did a bad job. I mean, I think there's a reason why, though, nobody in the country does it in-house. There's just so much that goes into it. I mean, just all the behind-the-scenes stuff, just the logistical stuff with it. So to take that off your plate and make a whole bunch of money uh, in the process, you know, almost $5 million more than what you were making per year, uh, no-brainer probably puts it uh, pretty nicely. So that will, take, that will go into effect July 1 uh, when the fiscal year ends. So a couple of other newsy items to kind of clear out here, Robin, as – uh, we work our way through this spring break show. Um, you know, the, we also wanted to hit on just a couple of surprise players that you know have come out of the spring. Two I'll put out there: Tommy Hill, defensive back from Arizona State. I shouldn't say he's a surprise; he's a four-star guy. But mm-hmm. I think, from what I've heard, a lot of the reason why Marquise Buford is focusing at safety is because of what they think of Tommy Hill at corner. Yeah, I think it's it's a surprise just because other guys were getting talked about more going in. Um, you know the uh, you know, the, the Singleton and all and all those guys were were kind of the, of the newcomers getting a little bit more of the the praise. Where Tommy Hill was just in that mix. Well, apparently uh, he's wasted no time making his mark and kind of changing the dynamics of the the makeup of that that top group secondary uh, early on in spring. So we'll see where he goes. Then you've got Kevin Williams, an offensive lineman from Northern Colorado, and I think the expectations weren't really high with him. Because he sat out a year, he's an FCS player, but he's come in and I think he's surprised people to the point where he's at least in the conversation at guard. And I think what's different about Donovan Riola compared to Greg Austin is he's okay within the middle of a practice of moving a guy from left to right guard. Mm-hmm. Like they do a lot of left to right side switching in a practice where Austin, I think, kept guys locked out of side. Um, you know, it was, you didn't see as much of that. Um, so I think the versatility of Kevin Williams, um, he's given. I think he's given them more than they thought already. Yeah, and I think it goes beyond just like swapping sides at the same position. I think they're going to different spots on the line too, uh, within the framework of a pro- practice. Scott Frost said that Kevin Williams and, and Hunter Anthony. He was asked about those two specifically um, this past Wednesday, and he said both of them had been working at guard and tackle. Um, obviously, Williams is probably getting more reps at guard. Anthony, Anthony at tackle, but I think that cross-training has really been an emphasis to where they really are going to find out all of the possible combinations they can throw out there to potentially get their best five and give themselves as much depth as they possibly can. All right, when we come back, we're going to bring in Louis Vakir from wildcatreport.com. We'll get an early look at the Northwestern Wildcats and how their spring is going. As we know, Nebraska will open up in August 
for the Air Lingus College Football Classic against Northwestern. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online show as uh, we get into talking a little bit of Northwestern this spring. Uh, before we get to that, the segment of the show brought to you by the 2022 Air Lingus Cultural Ball Classic in Dublin, Ireland, as Nebraska will take on Northwestern. If you have not yet planned your trip, get onto the website, Huskers to Ireland. Dot com. Uh, they've got plenty of trip options left. Uh, you can even get your flights figured out on there as well. And you can also buy individual game tickets now. So um, lots of ways to get out to Ireland. And one of the guys that will be joining me in Ireland, a longtime friend of mine, uh, Louis Vakir of WildcatReport.com. I know Louis got his trip planned out to Dublin coming up in August. How you been, Lou? Uh, Lou? I've been good, Sean. Good to talk to you. Good to talk a little football again. And by the way, I love that music. You got the Irish music going, very on point. I like it. Good marketing. <laughs> well, yeah. So are you all booked and set? Uh, and do a lot of your Wildcat friends and people you know uh, looking to go to Dublin as well? Yes, sir. Yeah, I'm I'm all booked, locked and loaded. Uh, as you know, Sean, my, my wife went to Nebraska and all my in-laws are Nebraskans that live there. So there's going to be a big group of us going over there. We're looking forward to it. And I think for Northwestern fans, uh, there's a lot of excitement about the game too, coming off of a very, you know, disappointing 2021 season. Um, it's something to look forward to. You know, there's a lot of question marks about the football team and whether there's a bowl game or not is a, is a big question. So this, I think the Ireland game could be the bowl game for the season. I think it'll be, a, you know, it's an interesting kind of a exotic locale for the game. So I think people are kind of fired up for it. Yeah, what drew Northwestern to want to want to do this, give up a home game and, and play such a pivotal game in week zero on their schedule? Yeah, well, I don't think, you know, Northwestern, especially against teams like Nebraska, Nebraska in particular, they don't have much of a home field advantage. I mean, you've been to those games, it's at least half red, sometimes considerably more than half. You know, I go back to the, I think it was 2012, if I remember, that uh, Northwestern had to go to a silent count in their own stadium because the crowd noise was so loud. I mean, that's, that's really sad. But uh, that's that's the reality. So I think for them, um, you know, I, I certainly Fitz, I think, looked at it as a reward for his football team. And I think it's a great experience for the, the players and stuff like that. But also, I don't think giving up that home game is going to hurt them that much in terms of uh, the game atmosphere and, um, you know, having a real home field advantage. They don't have it here anyway. So why not play it uh, in Ireland? Now, Louis, uh, Northwestern is set to do some major stadium renovations. When will that start, or when will they begin kind of tearing up Ryan Field? Yeah, so it looks like that's going to happen uh, 2023. And from what I'm hearing, and again, this, none of this is official, but from the people I talk to, it looks like um, they're going to be playing away from Ryan Field in 2023 and probably 2024 as well. So they'll probably be playing at uh, Wrigley Field, you know, where they played a couple times already, um, as well as Soldier Field could be in there too. They may uh, play in both of those venues. We'll have to see. But um, from what I'm hearing, it looks like it'll be two years without uh, Ryan Field, without a true home. So, so that'll be a uh, certainly a challenging experience. So be prepared for a lot of Nebraska fans to, to make that trip in 2024 because they're going to want to see Soldier Field, the Wrigley Field, the, the – that will be a, a trip a lot of Nebraska fans uh, will jump on. But, Louie, I want to ask you about spring ball, uh, Northwestern, uh, with a new defensive coordinator. Uh, but, obviously, they've been very, very, um, you know, the same type of system for several years, over 20 years. And Pat Fitzgerald played kind of in a similar system as a player there. Do you expect a lot of wholesale changes 
with what the Wildcats are going to do on defense here going into 2022? Well, uh, you know, Jim Jim O'Neill's first year was 2021, and it didn't go well, right? I mean, defense has been the bed bedrock of this program. It's really carried uh, the the team for the last I don't know decade, you could say. Um, and they really struggled last year. You know, their points against doubled, and they, you know, you saw firsthand when they played the Huskers. With the Huskers had over 400 yards rushing and 600 total yards. It was a disaster. So, you know, they, it's, it's funny because last year they started the season playing a lot more of uh, Jim O'Neill's star system, he calls it, 5 DB. So it's kind of like a 4-2-5. And that did not go well. And then after the Nebraska game, they got thoroughly embarrassed. Um, they, they went to the bye week, and then they came out the week after that. And from that point on, they were playing a lot more 4-3, which is kind of more Mike Hankwitz's old system, cover four in the back end keep everything in front of you, stop the running game. And they had a little more success with that. Um, till the end of the year, things kind of went off the rails again. So, you know, the, the question mark is, are they going to go to the star system? You know, did they just go back to the old system because the, the five DBs wasn't working? Or are they going to change the plan? You know, there's a lot of looking personnel-wise. They picked up a few players that suggests that they could be moving to a three, four. We don't know. You know, they could be multiple. They could be a little bit of all those things. It's, it's intriguing which direction they're going, but uh, whatever they end up with, they have to be much better than they were last season. One other interesting wrinkle will be Nebraska has a new offensive coordinator in Mark Whipple, a new quarterback in Casey Thompson. Um, you know, a bunch of new receivers will be here, a new running back. I'm sure on their end, just thinking about a week zero game, uh, they're going to have a lot on their mind too as they start to think about, boy, we got to come out of the gates ready to roll because uh, we're playing a Big Ten team with a lot of new things going in this first game. Yeah, no question about it. And though I will say, I think uh, after last season, Northwestern's glad that uh, Adrian <laughs> Martinez has moved on. That was a, that was a disaster. But um, yeah, it's it's you know, and I think. Really, though, you're seeing that more and more, right? I mean, teams are, there's so much turnover, even at like, you know, prominent positions like quarterback and things like that. And now with the portal teams, there's, there's so much turnover. And, you know, the coaching carousel goes round and round every year. So teams, you know, there's always a, a number of Big Ten teams that have new coaches or coordinators. So I think it's just kind of the nature of the beast. I think every year, you know, they got to go back and look at tape of where Mark Whipple came from and what did they run there and what's his personnel look like now and how does Casey Thompson going to change things. And so, yeah, they, they've got uh, their homework, but I don't think it's that much different than most years. I guess it, it is because it's week zero, but a lot of times they got a non-conference game there anyway. In the past they did, and you still had to do a lot of homework anyway. We're talking here with Louis Vecchier as we wrap things up. I uh, wanted to ask you about the Wildcat offense here. Um, you know, obviously, Hunter Johnson went back to Clemson. It looks like Halinski on papers, the, the leader in the clubhouse. But then that running back, you know, where's Cam Porter at? He was supposed to be the guy a year ago, went down with the injury. You know, is he going to be back? And, and kind of what's, what's he been doing this spring? Yeah, he's going to be back. Um, I don't think he's not taking part this spring, though. From what I hear, they're they're having to hold him off the field. He wants to get back out there and uh, practice, but they're they're holding him out as a precaution. But he should be back fully healthy next year. You know, he got hurt a couple weeks before the season last year. It was a devastating blow. But I tell you, running back is the one area I think they're in good shape. You got Cam Porter, who's a workhorse, coming back. Evan Hall rushed for a thousand yards last year and really was the MVP. Uh, certainly a bad offense and you got uh, Anthony Tyus coming back they got a good looking freshman you got Andrew Clare who was a uh, transfer last year he's back as well came back for a second year uh, in Evanston so they're loaded at uh, running back it's just I think (laughs) all other position groups on the offense is a question mark starting with quarterback and you're right. Uh, it looks like Ryan Holinsky is, I think he's the number one. I've heard things that uh, uh, Brendan Sullivan, who's a redshirt freshman, may push him this year a little bit. They really like what they see out of him. I know, though, that they were really going after some transfer quarterbacks, including Mr. Martinez. 
um, in the transfer portal. They didn't land any. I think there's, they still may be uh, in the mix uh, for at least one of them. We'll see if they can bring one in, but they're definitely looking to, you know, improve that quarterback position. It's got to start there for sure. Well, Louie, we appreciate you taking some time out here um, to get you ready for uh, spring practice here and an update on the Wildcats as uh, we zone in on this week zero matchup in Dublin. I'm looking forward to hopefully uh, sharing a pint of Guinness with you out there somewhere in Dublin. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. And thanks for having me as all, always. And, uh, Slancha, as they say over there. <laughs> All right. Well, much more to come. Clint Cosgrove will join me next. Rivals.com regional analyst as we'll talk uh, Husker recruiting and more. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Yeah, I think, you know, with the combination of, you know, no COVID and us being able to be out in schools in the, in the, in the fall and in the wintertime and then this spring and then being able to get guys on campus, we're so much farther ahead than where we were last year at this time. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, as I said, will be joined here by Rivals.com uh, recruiting analyst Clint Cosgrove making his debut here on the Husker Online Show. But somebody I've known for, God, Clint, I don't want to date ourselves here, but we've known each other like close <laughs> to 20 years. Um, it's great to have you on, though, uh, and welcome to the Husker Online Show. Hey, I appreciate you having me. Yeah, no, it's been a long time, man. Uh, it, it's crazy when you actually think about how many years because it flies. Well, yeah, let's talk recruiting here. Um, you know, you heard Eric Chenander. That was Nebraska's defensive coordinator. And I'm sure the tune is similar all across the country. Everybody just feels like in a much better place as we sit in the middle of the month of March where they're at, kind of with the recruiting classes. Uh, in Nebraska's case, they've had three junior days since January 22nd. They have five commits, um, at least as of show taping right now, and they're only going to take about 15 ish numbers so you know they, they feel really good about it I, i'm sure that that's the case for a lot of these places that have been able to have multiple campus events um since january yeah it really is um you know it's kind of one of those things when you're grounded as a kid you can't wait to get out of your room and out of the house uh same thing with these coaches i mean it was uh, you know i don't know the exact amount of time but it had been so long before they could either go on the road or, or really have kids on campus and um you're you're seeing it on the recruiting front they're taking advantage of it you know a place like nebraska especially where uh you got to get a kid on campus to give yourself that leg up um you know it, it's huge and i get why you're having all these junior days and uh you know it, it's the same thing across the country like you said though well and you could speak to this as well as anybody because you've worked at nebraska you've lived at in nebraska with your, your dad here coaching um, how important, just from your perspective, from what you know about this place, is getting a kid on campus for a place like Nebraska? I think it's huge. Um, I think it's really, really big because when you look at kids these days, they, you know, a lot of it's about the flash and, you know, uh, a lot of it's about the name and everything like that. Uh, to a kid who might not be from a short drive from Nebraska, uh, you know, they just might not even think of it. But if you can get them on campus, all of a sudden they go down there, and especially like even Chicago kids. You know, Nebraska's not too far from here, but they get down there and they talk about, you know, the feeling when you walk in that stadium. They see how big it is, how important it is. You walk through those halls, you see the, you know, the past, you know, the past greats that have been there. And uh, there's really is a feeling when you get there. And then you see how important it is to the people around the program. You see the facilities. Uh, you see how they can set you up for the future. These are things that you can't get from a virtual tour or looking on a map. When a, you know, when a kid from a big city, especially here's Nebraska, they think boring. <laughs> they get on campus at, you know, at the U and uh, – it, uh, it can definitely change the whole mindset of them, uh, of where Nebraska stands in the recruiting process. We're talking here with Rivals.com analyst Clint Cosgrove. And Clint, uh, Nebraska, as I said, has five commits already on board. 
Um, you've had a chance to, to rank and evaluate a lot of these guys. Just your thoughts on kind of where Nebraska's at with these five commits. Um, I think they've done a fantastic job. I mean, uh, we have them as the 15th ranked class in the nation right now. To get five this early is huge. Um, I like what they've done. I, I don't know much about the quarterback um, or the defensive back from Florida, but the kids, especially the in-state kids, like, you know, Sam Sledge, the, and we've talked about him, you know, uh, in depth, but Sam Sledge, I think that is a huge pickup. Uh, just talking to other kids who have played against them. He is nasty. He is mean. He's obviously a legacy. Uh, you know, he's got great feet, uh, and he plays through the whistle every single play. He embodies what the Nebraska, you know, program was built on. And when I wrote his, his uh, commitment breakdown, I made sure to throw a, an old Milt Teniper uh, <laughs> reference in there because he he is a he is a kid who would have fit right in with that group. Um, so I really like him. You know, Gunnar uh, Gatua, big, you know, big, big kid, uh, a lot of upside, a little raw right now. Um, but when they get him coached up, Coach Rayola in there, uh, you know, he's got a chance to be very good. He's very strong. You know, he's another tough kid. And uh, he, he, he plays with a little nasty to him like that a lot. Uh, Brommer, now he has a ton of upside. You know, you don't really know uh, necessarily what he is. Uh, because he's just so far from a finished project. He's got that, you know, that great length, great size, great frame. It's play of a running back. So he's, there's a lot of projecting with him, uh, but he's the type of kid that you get in, you develop, and, uh, you know, the sky's the limit for him. So I really like what they've done so far. They've been really proactive on the recruiting trail as well. They put out a lot of good offers. And they're recruiting uh, a little more in areas that, you know, I felt they should have been in the past. They're putting some effort in there, and I think that could pay dividends as well. Yeah, when you look at just the the broad picture of things, you've got the state of Nebraska, Kansas City, St. Louis, Chicago, Iowa. I mean, it just feels like there's enough there right now for a, a school like Nebraska to, to get a lot of their work done and just in that footprint. 100%. And uh, I, I think that's huge because we talk about getting kids on campus. Those are the kids that you're most likely to get on campus. And those are the kids that when you do get on campus, you open eyes and you, you give yourself a chance at least. Um, they've done a good job, you know, putting out at least getting offers out to those kids in Missouri. Um, you know, signed a kid from Chicago this year. They've got a few other Chicago's like Alante Brown on the on the roster so they're building that pipeline and i think it's really good that they have put that emphasis on it because there is enough talent in that footprint that you speak of for them to win and there's enough talent that's not you know locked into a school you know even though it you know last year we didn't see it really happen but you don't you don't go into wisconsin usually and and take a kid you know uh the places missouri uh illinois Chicagoland, um, you know, those schools are, are, those places are up for grabs. And uh, it does not hurt to go in there and try to take some of those top kids because there's a chance that you can get them. Yeah, you, you look at just what Nebraska's done. Like, just, I mean, and I want to ask you this because your dad recruited St. Louis as well as anybody has at Nebraska, um, you know, and they haven't really been successful there. But you, you go back at Keith Williams, Mike McNeil, Chris Brooks. Uh, those were three NFL guys that have come out of St. Louis since that guy, since that time, Keith Williams was class of 06, by the way, I mean, that's a long time ago. Um, you, you scroll through Nebraska. Clint has only signed one St. Louis player. And that was running back Trey Bryant. Why is it? Why, 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 why is Nebraska? I mean, why, why has it been a struggle to recruit St. Louis? I mean, one player since 2006 has signed uh, with the Huskers. I, I, I really could not tell you. I don't think they really made it a priority, to be honest. Um, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but they have started, uh, you know, putting out those offers now in St. Louis. Um, and, uh, you know, any, I, I just think it's a place, if you want to be successful, and St. Louis has been up for grabs and it's not far away, it's a place you have to make a priority. 
and you got to get the right coach in there. Um, St. Louis is very, uh, it's, I, I don't want to say it's a hard place to recruit, but it's not a place you can just show up one year, offer a kid, and make inroads. You've got to get in with the coaches in the area. The kids are, are very close-knit, no matter if they play at uh, one school or another. You know, they talk. Uh, you know, there's got to be some buzz about your program in the city in order to do well there. And uh, so once they stop it, well, and I don't even know if they totally stop, but once they did not make it a priority, um, it's just, it becomes a lot harder to recruit St. Louis uh, once once there's not that buzz about you there anymore. Well, and the recruiting rules were different as far as when you could be out and what you could do. But when your dad really had it going both at Wisconsin and Nebraska and St. Louis, I mean, how much time would he spend down there? Gosh, he spent a lot of time down there. I mean, like, when he was on the road, that's usually where he was. Like, that's what he made his focus. Um, he knew the families down there. He, he, he knew the coaches down there. Uh, he, he lived, he lived in St. Louis recruiting and it, and it paid off, you know. Um, and, uh, it's, it, the landscape's changed it a little bit in terms of who the coaches are and which schools are producing the most talent. But it's that same uh, kind of St. Louis mentality uh, that, you know, you, you got to be one of them. And, and uh, if you put in the effort and you make the connections and, and show the love and take care of the kids when they get on campus, you can have success there. I don't care who you are. The other challenge, too, is there's this much more turnover in college football. I mean, you, you just the time you get comfortable at a job, you're either moving on to the next one or, or, or the coach you're working for is getting fired. I mean, it's, it's hard to have longevity um, as, a, as a coach now, just the way college football is set up. Yeah, it's absolutely insane. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's important. Like, if, if your St. Louis recruiter leaves and, and St. Louis is a priority, the next guy you hire, you might want to make sure that, that, that you know, they're that, they're that same thing. That you know, there's a lot of guys who can recruit St. Louis, um, but it's hard to throw somebody new into the fire if they're not going to put all the work in. So um, I do think, yeah, you never know who your coach is going to be. Uh, kids are learning that they're making less and less decisions based off coaches. I think now, obviously, they're going to have to like the coaches that they sign with, and um, but their understanding and just like the transfer portal has changed the recruiting game. Um, I think it has also made college coaches, not only, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a deal where, you know, it's a lot easier to get fired nowadays, but it has also made them a lot more open. Hey, if, if my best player is going to leave, uh, for, for greener pastures, uh, you know, maybe it's time that I start taking care of myself and doing the same. So I, I think it comes hand in hand with the portal as well. And uh, it's just a different landscape. And final question here as we wrap it up with Clint Cosgrove. Uh, Malachi Coleman from Lincoln East, now the new number one in the state of Nebraska for the class of 2023. Um, kind of what went into your decision to, to elevate Malachi to the number one player in the state? It's all about his upside. And the more you talk about the kid, you realize that this kid is just tough. He is tough. He is someone who you can throw him he's going to make the most out of any situation all right and he's about as physically gifted as you are going to find when i was talking to him the other day and i know all these are projections and stuff like that but he's talking about you know doctors say he could end up being six eight <laughs> you know and you look at what he does on the field he's just he's he's so he's so good while still being so raw at the same time you know, he's, he's in that six, five range. Uh, he can run, he can stretch the field on offense. He can come off the edge on defense. He's physical. He likes to hit. He loves, he loves the game. Um, you know, there's just so much outside now, uh, may, you know, may there be other guys in the state who are more polished, uh, right now. Yeah. But as far as upside goes, uh, he his upside is just through the ceiling, and I think he's going to do great things. I'm not sure what position he's going to play. That's another thing that I like about him. If he shows up on campus somewhere, and you know maybe he struggles at one position, there's about eight others that you can throw him at, and he's going to provide value one way or another. He's going to be a great team guy. 
high character kid, uh, a leader, and he's going to give you everything you got. So when you have a kid who has the upside that he does, uh, not only from a physical growth, but, uh, you know, technique and, 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 and developing within the game and then the want to on top of it, for me, that was just enough to put him at the top. Well, Clint, we really appreciate uh, you taking some time, and uh, I know you're going to be down in Miami. Your your coverage from Miami will uh, make sure to link that as well um, from the Rivals camp. But uh, thanks again for taking some time here uh, here on the Husker Online Show. Yeah, always a blast, Sean. I love talking with you, man. I really appreciate you having me on, and uh, uh, wish me luck in Miami. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, thank you very much. Much more to come. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, talking basketball now. Thanks again to Clint Cosgrove and Louis Vakir for joining us here on this week's show. Uh, but Robin, let's talk basketball and kind of where things sit with the program. It is spring break, um, so things are kind of a, a little bit on pause. But what, what's your read of kind of where where the big picture is with things? Well, Monday of this week um, in the college basketball calendar is usually referred to as Black Monday uh, because this is where a lot of the off-season coaching changes uh, first start to, to happen and you know just read through social media that they, they're already underway in a lot of different schools so um, the ball the clock has officially started um, on that uh, you know with with Nebraska now turning the page to the off-season and just given the nature of um, what needs to happen you know both with uh, figuring out what attrition they're going to have on their roster and then what they need to fill uh, going into the spring signing period in April, uh, time is is of the essence. So um, my read on this is uh, the first domino that's going to fall um, with this, this offseason process will be with the coaching staff. Um, nothing is officially official on that as of recording time, uh, but I would anticipate there being some movement uh, within Nebraska's um, assistant coach and, and coaching staff pool and how much we'll we'll see but I would I would make it a safe bet that there will be will, will be some changes and then that uh, starts the ripple effect of what those changes mean for current players on the roster if that changes their view on um, you know their their opportunities at Nebraska and all that uh, and then then so you you figure out what players are going to leave and then um, obviously you want to fill out your staff because going into the transfer portal um, that's pretty much where any remaining spots uh, Nebraska has to fill will become or will come through the transfers. And so you got to have a full staff in place to capitalize on relationships. So um, I would anticipate Fred not wasting much time in filling whatever spots are open on his coaching staff. And then quickly after that, uh, those new additions and the guys that are returning are going to get to work in you know, bringing in transfer level players. And so uh, there's, it's going to happen relatively quickly. Um, you know, like I said, the spring signing period is in, uh, I think, mid-April. And so uh, they've only got a few more weeks here uh, to you know, really figure this thing all out. And so uh, I wouldn't anticipate them taking much time more than necessary. Uh, there's going to be some guys, you know, like Bryce, technically he's still... <laughs> Hasn't officially declared yet, um, but I think that's like 99.9% sure he's gone. Trey McGowan's, uh, he's technically leaving it open. I would probably say it's unlikely he comes back, and then Derek Walker and even Lat Mayan are going to have decisions to make. So those might take a little bit longer, but I don't think that real. I think Nebraska is going to have a pretty good sense on the likelihood of all those guys, and they're going to be able to figure out the complexion of the rest of their roster, even if those guys take their time with their decisions. Well, and the, if there's one thing, Robin, we know about Trev Alberts, he doesn't like to pay out people. That you know, That's not his thing, to like pay out buyouts. And some of these coaches have contracts that they would be guaranteed money. So how much of it, too, is maybe they're going to let guys try to move on to other gigs where it's not an outright you know, firing where you're going to have to pay somebody out 
Yeah, I would imagine that um, there will be try to Nebraska will try to have as many you know mutual uh, agreements to part ways uh, under the condition that guys you know might find other opportunities to potentially lessen uh, those payouts because obviously whatever these guys are owed um, on their remaining contracts uh, can be negated by whatever deals they sign at a different school. So the quicker they go and find jobs, uh, the better for Nebraska. And so if they can make it a deal where you know, Coach X uh, has something else, another opportunity, and can just kind of naturally transition to that. It saves Nebraska a bunch of money, uh, and you know, also kind of allows a uh, a nice bridge for Coach to move on to a different school. So that's kind of the ideal scenario that I think Nebraska wants to do. But you know, sometimes it doesn't work out that way. Now, Robin. A lot of these recruits are signed, or they're all signed. They're all signed. But that doesn't really matter. It does not. So what is your feel on the class if certain changes happen that could affect maybe their relationship with Nebraska that was basically because of an assistant coach? Yeah, I mean, that's a very real thing, and it's happened to Nebraska before. Uh, Go back to the Tim Miles era where, you know, Kenya Hunter uh, decided to leave to take the job at, at UConn and Nebraska had a signed point guard in Xavier Johnson, who um, is now the starting point guard at Indiana, uh, that backed out of his letter of intent. And Nebraska ended up releasing him because, I mean, technically a school doesn't have to release you, but it's a really bad look if you don't. And you're going to have a disgruntled player and you're going to get a reputation of not being a player's coach. And so there's a lot of it, it's the risk is far more than the reward of in that situation. So basically you have to let him out. And so if Nebraska does part ways with um, an assistant coach or two that have direct connections to, um, you know, one of the three uh, signees. I don't include Denim Dawson in there just because he's already here. And I would imagine that that's not going to change much of his dynamic. Uh, but with the other three, Blaze Kada, the junior college center um, down in Coffeyville, Kansas, Romel Lloyd Jr., uh, the guard, combo guard from Sierra Canyon out in California, and then Jamarcus Lawrence, the shooting guard uh, out in New Jersey, those three guys, you know, their thoughts on Nebraska and the situations might change uh, because relationships are so critical in recruiting, especially with college basketball recruiting, that oftentimes players commit to coaches and they don't commit to schools. Like the school is just kind of like a secondary deal. It's all about the relationships and connections that they have and their family have and their camp have with assistant coaches. So when you make staff changes, it will potentially disrupt the dynamics of your your relationships uh, and how they stand between a signed player and um, you know the the returning coaching staff. Are you worried? I mean, I, I would some of these recruits. I would not rule it out. Um, you know, because obviously Nebraska had a very unique way in which they handled recruiting, and if that dynamic changes, uh, you know, <laughs> there's probably going to be a, a direct impact with that, and then it comes down to can what you know that coach that is no longer here what what he did to sell said player on Nebraska can Fred Hoiberg and his returning staff uh figure out a way to reemphasize that and and, conv- and basically re-recruit the player to stay on board so um you know it's it, it's kind of one of the uh consequences of making offseason changes within the coaching staff that don't doesn't involve the head coach but it's, it's the reality of, this, of the game, and Nebraska is going to have to find a way to navigate it. All right. Well, it will be very interesting. Robin will be on top of that as much as anybody. So uh, make sure you're on Husker Online. We'll have coverage of that, all the baseball game coverage going on. And once again, spring practice back in action next week, Tuesday, March 22nd. The Huskers get back to work. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.